Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, March 30th. We begin with a look at the federal financial aid response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson, joins us on how the information may be plentiful. Many Canadians, though, are having a tough time navigating the system. Next, we check in with Global's Chief Political Correspondent, David Aiken. David breaks down the power structure in times of emergencies, national or provincial. The answer may surprise you. Then we move to civic politics. We talk with Ward 6 Councillor Jeff Davison on what city council will look like moving ahead during this crisis. It's a double-edged sword. You have a doctor or specialist appointment, but are currently self-isolated. Dr. Ted Jablonski tells us about the trend toward virtual doctor visits. And a Calgary journalist and frequent contributor to the morning news has recently been diagnosed with COVID-19. Mario Taniguzzi shares his personal story. 609 on the morning news. It's time to take a look at the current impact COVID-19 is having across the nation and how the situation has uh, progressed over the weekend. We're joined now by Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, live from self-isolation. Good morning, Mercedes. (laughs) Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. It's got to be tough for you because uh, the West Block went on, uh, but uh, you had to sit this one out. Is, Is it hard for you? It's really hard because it's, you know, our our instinct as journalists and why most of us go into this is because we want to help inform people. And this is possibly the biggest journalistic story of our time. Um, There are questions about government accountability and what the government's doing and is it the right thing and is it enough? Um, And I, I very much appreciate and love and trust Mike Luther, who's been doing this for me, um, he is uh, one of our reporters in the Ottawa Bureau. And he's doing an awesome job. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely hard not to be on that particular uh. front line right now. And, um, you know, we're trying to look at whether we can do this technically for next week coming or not. Uh, but if not, it's going to be the same situation. But, you know, I think it's, it's really important that we're talking about self-isolation and making sure that you do that no matter what, no matter how hard it is, no matter how badly you want to do a show uh, or whatever it is you want to do, everyone has a different thing. You have to really be careful about that. I was in the United States. I I don't know whether I was exposed or not. And the last thing I'd ever want to do is risk exposing somebody else, even if I have no symptoms Mm -hmm. or mild symptoms uh, and you don't know it. uh, That's just, it's so important that everybody really listens to that guidance and stays home. So no symptoms, you're, you're feeling well, you're good so far? Yeah, I feel good so far. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like this weird time warpy feeling where you're home and every day is kind of exactly the last day. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of... Except uh, you're, on a diff- you're on a new episode of Tiger King. That's the only change. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, I burned through Tiger King by one day off. It's done now. <laughs> okay. uh, it, was, it was great, though. But, uh, yeah, they, you know, it's, a, it's a different working rhythm for sure, and you don't get that break in between. But um, we've been so busy with this stuff that, honestly, I, I haven't found it that difficult. And people are amazing. Everyone reaches out. Uh, I've heard from people I haven't talked to in years and had video chats with them. Uh, So it's been a weird, weirdly physically distant process. But I haven't actually felt like I've been socially isolated because I've had the chance to connect with a lot of people. I want to ask you, uh, we said we're going to cover what happened on the weekend. Well, the top edge of the weekend, I believe it was on Friday on your Twitter, you uh, write, Hi, friends. I've never received so many DMs, tweets, and messages from folks with questions or needing help applying for benefits, what they qualify for, what the government is and isn't going to do, and why. Doing my best to get answers from people who know. How has that quest gone for you? Because that's something we heard from Mm -hmm. our texters time and time again. Great, they have these packages, but where do I get them? Is there more clarity uh, on the way? 
we're hearing that there should be more clarity on the way today, and it's, it's such a huge issue for people um, because we're hearing about the programs running out. The government is doing this in real time. They've never done anything like this. This is a historic package that's come out, but there's still a lot of big questions, and a lot of those questions people might have gone into a Service Canada before and gotten answers. Those storefronts have now all closed. And what I found is that's particularly distressing for a lot of Canadians who are seniors and who don't use the internet mm-hmm. or aren't familiar with doing online application forms, uh, with some people I've heard from who have disabilities, who really, it's extremely difficult for them to fill out a form like that. Um, and others who just don't know if, if there's even a point to filling out the form online. Um, and we're hoping to get some more information about this. I mean, this is all evolving so fast um, that everyone's trying to get a handle on it. But certainly that there's questions as well, not just about um, the employment insurance I found, but for the small businesses. And we're supposed to get some clarity on that this week too. What's a small business? What's a medium-sized business? What's the cutoff for being able to apply for this program? Okay, now you can afford people's wages, but how do you afford the rent for the business? Um, Is that something, should the government be trying to worry about all of that, or is that unrealistic? Um, There's a lot of questions still that uh, I'm sure the Prime Minister is going to be listening to as they're put them today. I I would not want to be in his position, absolutely. So no criticism at all, but do you think there are just too many programs? Is there not an easier way to kind of group it all together or or is that the problem there just isn't i think it's just it's so huge Mm -hmm. and they're trying to get their heads wrapped around it and and we don't know if this approach is is the right approach or not frankly we probably won't know for some time um because i have had people write to me and say where does this money come from and it's like i don't really know Mm -hmm. we've never seen 82 billion dollars come out before we're trying to figure out how all this works ourselves as well um but there's sort of there's still things the government has to answer for and all that, right? At the end of the day, they're accountable. They're accountable for what steps they did or did not take. Uh, when there was concern about this, we're hearing there could be um, things changing in terms of WHO guidance on how to protect yourself from Corona this week. That could create some tough questions for the government. Uh, people want something done, and the government is responding to that call and, and responding to the reality that having, um, you know, millions of Canadians out of work and companies that have collapsed over a couple of months if you don't do something makes it tough to rebound economically. But how far do they have to go in supporting it? Uh, one of the things we were asked about yesterday was more supports for people who are already on EI or, or seniors. Um, they announced the money to have sort of home health checks for seniors, but not to supplement seniors' income. And what they said is that that's because they're focusing on people who've lost their jobs due to coronavirus, which makes sense. You would start with people who lost their jobs first. Right. But what I'm hearing from a lot of seniors is most of their income is from their retirement savings, which are investments and the stock market crash. Mm. Hearing also through the weekend that uh, obviously supplies in short uh, supply, if you will, across the nation and uh, that uh, China has stepped up and said we're going to donate whether or not it's masks or hospital gowns thousands uh, but there's some questions surrounding that and uh, as far as them being up to snuff and up to code for what we're looking for. Yeah, so we sent a whole bunch of stuff to China when uh, this virus hit in Wuhan and the government was being criticized for that but said, no, look, the Chinese are actually going to be sending more back to us than we sent to them. The question mark here is that in other countries like the Netherlands and the UK, 
when they received these shipments, they said parts of this personal protective equipment were incomplete, uh, parts of it just didn't work, uh, and that they ended up shipping back thousands of pieces in some cases because they just were not up to snuff to protect those frontline staff. And you have this larger issue where there is a dissonance between what we are hearing from frontline healthcare workers who say they're worried that they don't think there's going to be enough personal protective equipment if more is not procured, and the government saying that there is enough, but they, they're not releasing numbers. So we're still trying to get a sense of this, and the government is certainly trying to get industry to scramble as quickly as possible to do stuff like print off 3D uh, plastic masks for those frontline doctors and nurses. But I was talking to an emergency room doctor who started a petition here uh, just outside of Ottawa, and she was saying there's significant concerns in emergency rooms about this. And, and the biggest issue is, if doctors and nurses start getting exposed because they don't have the right equipment, that's when the healthcare system mm-hmm. really starts to struggle because those are the people who are treating everybody else. So we're hoping to get some more answers this week on that as well. We're certainly digging into that, looking at ventilators, masks, gloves. Where are they? How many? How much do we have? And potentially some of that information may come down this morning when the Prime Minister does his daily address. So we'll be listening for that. And uh, we thank you for joining us. Stay well, Mercedes. Thank you. You too. That's Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Ottawa Bureau Chief. 710 on the morning news. Did you know that when it comes to emergency measures during times like these, it turns out that the provinces hold the real power, not Ottawa. We're joined by Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, on why this is the case. Good morning, David. Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. I, I find this quite surprising. You would think that, uh, you know, uh, the feds would have a lock on everything and, and final say, but not the case. It's, it's the little guys that can really make a difference. And, you know, you shouldn't say little. I mean, provinces of Alberta, province of B.C., province of Ontario, they're pretty big entities on their own. And and the big difference here is that um, the the Federal Emergencies Act, which a lot of people have been talking about, saying that Ottawa ought to invoke it, there's no powers in that act that any province already doesn't have. In other words, there's there's nothing Ottawa's holding back in terms of, you know, can we do this or do that. Provinces have remarkable power. And here's the other thing is, provinces, generally speaking, most provinces also have a little clause in their Provincial uh, Emergency Powers Act that says, Cabinet can take this measure, that measure, and this measure, and any other measure. That, that's key. Any other measure that Cabinet uh, decides is appropriate. So it's sort of a blank check clause. And provinces have that blank check clause. The federal government does not have a blank check clause. The federal government can only take action on a closed, what's called a closed list of nine specific areas. Where the federal government has its power in these emergencies is the checkbook. The federal government really uh, backstops prevent all the provinces financially. And really, that's the role that I think most premiers right now, Premier Kenny, Premier Ford here in Ontario, Premier Legault in Quebec, that's really the role they see for the federal government at this time, coordination and roll out the checkbook. But so far as being able to tell people what to do, tell businesses what to do, to limit a number of gatherings, provinces have all those powers and provinces have been using those powers quite liberally during this crisis. That's what I wanted to ask you about, David. You know, which premiers, you just mentioned three, would you say those three premiers are the ones that are really wielding their power in this unusual circumstance that we're in right now? 
Yes, I would, absolutely. And one of the reasons the premiers have sort of said to, in the most recent First Minister's call, the premiers, with, with one notable exception, that being New Brunswick's Blaine Higgs, the premiers are okay with the federal government sort of not invoking the emergencies act because what might be appropriate, say, in Alberta right now is maybe not appropriate in Quebec or in Ontario or in B.C. In other words, we have these local provincial health authorities to be able to respond to local concerns uh, most effectively. And so we're seeing, for example, one of the things we've seen over the last few weeks is um, various provinces have limited the size of gatherings. Uh, over the weekend, the province of Ontario has now put it at, I think, five. So, you know, it's illegal to have a gathering of six people or more. But other provinces may still be in the under 50 rule, um, you know, and it, it will change. In Vancouver, they have more of a problem, so they're, they're clamping down. I think they were to two. Um, so, again, this is, this is the appropriate way for uh, governments to respond to local, local concerns. Here's one more example. In Ontario, the Premier, uh, Doug Ford here, uh, they invoked their power to literally take control of supply chains in Ontario. So they can order businesses to do this or that. They can set prices. They're going to monitor to make sure the appropriate goods are getting where they have to do. And that is all allowed and uh, under the provincial powers that Ontario has, and I suspect every other province's emergency powers. And this is one of those cases, uh, David, where not only are we told to stay home because we're going to flatten the curve and we're going to self-isolate, but also stay informed because just because if you're sitting in Alberta, Saskatchewan, or Manitoba for that matter, and you're just listening to the national updates, it could be vastly different in your own backyard even. Well, I don't think it's... I don't think it's vastly different, though. It's an arguable point. It's certainly different. And this is, uh, in fact, this is perhaps one of the key roles that the, f- the federal government could step up a bit. We've only had one first minister's call through this crisis. That was last week. And um, there are some experts, people who've worked in government, to say, why isn't the prime minister basically having a daily call with all the premiers? And so all the premiers, and it'd be sort of like peer pressure, if, uh, you know, the premier in Quebec has said, right, we don't want gatherings any bigger than two, and the premier of B.C. is saying we can have gatherings of 50, well, then maybe the premier of B.C. ought to explain himself to everybody else, and there'd be a little bit of peer pressure to make sure there is that coordination uh, across uh, provincial jurisdictions. Um, there certainly... Provincial health authorities are all talking to each other. They do that daily. But perhaps that would be a role for the prime minister to convene a call, you know, daily or at least a little more often than uh, just the, the one we saw last week to have premiers sort of explain to their peers, you know, what they're doing or what they're not doing and why. That might be something for the federal government to, to do. If the federal government did enact its Emergencies Act, then the federal government could apply a national standard if it so chose. And that's what Blaine Higgs of New Brunswick wants. But the federal government also has the ability to uh, limit its uh, certain powers to certain regions, too. So it, it's not an automatic that the Federal Emergencies Act, if it was invoked, would put a national standard on, as they say, crowd sizes or anything like that. Um, I think we all know, and we ought to have known by now, avoid crowds. Yeah. Stay at home unless you need to. It's, you know, folks, use some common sense at this point. That Federal Emergencies Act, is that something the provinces would have a say on whether that is declared or not, David? Or is that just that, the feds that make that decision on their own? No, no, that's a, that's a good question. And, and actually, the Act, the Federal Act, says the, pro, the federal government has to consult with the provinces before it decides to invoke the Act. Doesn't mean provinces have a veto, but it says they have to consult. 
We should point out this act, the Federal Emergencies Act, it's never been invoked. It's been around since 1988. That's when it came in. And in 1988, uh, it, was, it replaced the War Measures Act, of course, which was uh, famously invoked in 1970 by the current prime minister's dad. Um, but a lot of people thought that War Measures Act was, was flawed because it was, uh, gave the federal government some unlimited powers, not enough checks and balances. And so this new Federal Emergencies Act requires consultation with the provinces, and it would mean that Parliament would have to essentially be recalled to affirm the declaration of emergency or revoke it. And don't forget, we got a minority parliament. So if, he, if Trudeau invokes the Emergencies Act, you know, he's got to make sure that everybody's on board, or at least one other party is ready to affirm the emergency. They probably would right now, but then he can only update it every he can only renew the emergency every 90 days and every time they renew the emergency they have to bring parliament back and so you can see if this was going to go over time there might be the increasing chance that a minority government would lose a vote declaring an emergency and mm. would that be a confidence vote i don't know we're we're on we're on ground we've never been on before uh, of course but thanks for trying to uh, clarify it for us uh, david great job this morning appreciate it okay thanks guys cheers as david aiken global's chief political correspondent Eight eleven on the morning news, and of course, it's a different time for all of us at work. And uh, City Council is no different. So we thought we'd uh, get an update on City Council since our regular City Hall reporter Aurelio Perry is off. We're joining uh, Ward Six Councilor Jeff Davison. So you have to report on all things, <laughs> Jeff. There's no pressure whatsoever. You know Aurelio; he digs deep. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do the job. I get two <laughs> okay. paychecks that way. Let's talk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, don't pay, we don't pay a really. It, it's a volunteer position. Um, <laughs> let's talk about how your world has changed because the city isn't stopping and city business and our concerns as citizens above and beyond the, the pandemic as far as life passed and fingers crossed that it's short um, has to go on. So you folks are still working. Yeah, we're still working. Uh, you know, everybody's working from home, just like uh, most citizens right now. It's, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, for me and a lot of city councillors, we go through the same challenges. We've got families at home and kids. And I joked the other day that uh, my first uh, day on the job as our homeschool principal, I had to break up three fights and fire the math teacher for drinking on the job. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Were it's, you the math teacher or your wife? Uh, there's no comment okay. there, uh, but uh, <laughs> I will tell you I should never be in charge of uh, grade five math. So, what does it uh, look? No, what does it look like in council? Do you are, will you guys all be literally from home for council meetings, or are you doing that sort of half on half off like you did before? Yeah, we've got a couple options. We've obviously got ourselves set up so that if we need to phone in or, you know, can't quite make a half-in, half-out uh, uh, effort to, to be physically present, uh, that we have the mechanisms in place to still, uh, you know, adjourn city council and, and run the show. So, um, yeah, it's it's a, I wouldn't say it's a, a new normal, but it's uh, it's certainly interesting. So as far as the agenda this week, what's going to be on the agenda? So nothing this week. Uh, council will meet again on the 6th. Um, really right now, I think, you know, what we're focused on is, you know, three words that I keep telling people, you know, survival, recovery, and resilience. You know, we've got to figure out, you know, obviously the immediate. Uh, we have to figure out how we get into that recovery mode and, and evolve into what a new normal kind of coming out of this would look like. And then think about resilience and how we, how we move the city forward from here. 
Um, right now, we've got a number of task forces that we've set up internally. Uh, we've got a, an emergency task force, obviously, that, uh, you know, is, is a critical one. Then we've got a couple of others. You know, we've got a community task force. Uh, we've got a, a corporate continuity task force. So that's you're really your internal uh, city team trying to figure out what does continuity look like within the city uh, as a corporation. And then we've got a business support team and an economic resiliency team as well. So, I mean, City Hall business will go on as much as possible in as much of normal fashion as possible. But so, you know, when as for the councillors, do you guys keep in touch with each other as when things are not necessarily happening uh, in terms of a meeting? Do you keep in touch with each other and keep each other up to date on, uh, you know, whether you're hearing from constituents, for example? Yeah, and I think to some degree, actually, communication has gotten really good. I mean, you know, when you're forced to stay in contact through different mechanisms, I think people do it. Uh, as a council, we've actually been meeting daily. Uh, we have a daily uh, 4.30 call that we're all on to really digest sort of what's happened at the federal level, what's happened at the provincial level, and then what is it we're doing as a city to continue to move forward. So that's our time to really talk to SEMA uh, Chief, Chief uh, Tom Sampson, get answers to some questions that we're looking at, figure out the path forward together, and uh, and, and not necessarily make decisions, but um, bring thoughts and ideas to the table in order to uh, make those decisions at a future council date. And I'm thinking because people know that they can get a hold of you as uh, someone in your constituency could reach out to you. You might also be uh, playing the role of a conduit to a certain extent, directing people where they can get their questions answered above the city, whether it's provincially or nationally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of this, uh, you know, really is at a federal level and, and, you know, even at a provincial level. And so it's really helping people just navigate things like, where do I go to find EI? Um, you know, how can I get help for my business? Those types of things. And so a lot of calls like that. But we're trying to, you know, really, uh, as all orders of government, uh, work together and collaboratively and, and to a level I've never seen. I think this has been uh, a fantastic response by all three levels of government uh, where you have everybody gathering together and really figuring out what information do we need to get out to every every citizen. Because it's important to remember it's not just Calgary in this. It's, you know, it's every municipality across the country. It's every province. You know, it, frankly, it's every country out there. So uh, it really does require a unified approach. Jeff, if people have questions about what's what kind of relief might be available to them, you know, municipally, what's the best place to direct them to? Uh, right now, we've got, uh, you know, the City of Calgary website is probably the best one. Um, you know, 311 is tending to be overloaded just uh, with questions and, and people looking for responses. Uh, in particular, we actually have a business site up now. It's called uh, calgary.ca slash COVID-business. Uh, it's a great resource for anybody who has been laid off or, you know, business owners that are, are going through some tough times here trying to figure out how they're going to navigate the way forward. Uh, they can go there. There's a lot of sort of consolidated uh, information there, not just from the city, but also where we can direct you provincially and federally for, for help. Excellent. Calgary.ca slash COVID business. That's what you said, right? Yes, that's Th- correct. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Uh, stay All safe, right. you and your family, and um, keep working hard for us while you're out there. You guys too. Talk soon. That's uh, Ward 6 Councillor Jeff Davison. 719 on the morning news. Glad to have Dr. Ted Jablonski with us, our on-call family physician, especially this morning uh, during this time of pandemic. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. The medical community rapidly adapting to the new normal, which is the COVID-19 pandemic, and that includes going virtual for doctor's appointments. And I can uh, understand uh, the stress 
uh, Dr. J, and then, you know, maybe you have a specialist appointment or a doctor appointment that you have to go to, but obviously you're self-isolated and don't want to go into the office. So tell us about virtual visits. Yeah, so this is um, what was impossible a few weeks ago is now going to be the norm almost instantly. And just as you said, if somebody's on self-isolation, if they're on quarantine, or they just really don't want to come into the clinic, right? They don't want to mm-hmm. leave their house for whatever reason, get up in the clinic and, and potentially have infection from uh, uh, in the reception room or in a clinic. So now we have the ability, and just now I'll put it in quotation marks, legal for us to do this and move ahead with this. And this can be by telephone. So a virtual visit can be scheduled. It's a set time. Um, can be done sort of anywhere, I guess, uh, at present. You set a time, set a visit, and essentially we are going to be calling or we're going to be using a video platform. And again, this is where there was a huge struggle that uh, how, do we, how would we do this? How do we make sure it's confidential? Uh, is the platform secure, et cetera? Uh, the government has sort of pulled off uh, restrictions um, just to get this to work and to get this to work very, very quickly. So your doctor might just do it by telephone, might talk about things like a FaceTime or a Skype, or we now have platforms that we use for meetings a lot. So Zoom uh, is a platform that we use for, for meetings and is now being used for these kind of virtual visits. So Dr. J, how does it work from the doctor's perspective? Will you take one, two hours out of your day to specifically deal with these kinds of calls or how, how will that look to you, do you think? So, so, so far last week, this was just intermingled. So uh, people who were healthy, where there was no restriction, we could still see them in clinic. And then uh, we were doing virtual visits and just sort of back and forth and just scheduling them in. Very, very difficult for us. I mean, we're not used to this. This is such a different um, thing to do. I would guess in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing uh, almost all virtual and very few in inpatient or in, in person. Uh, so this will sort of take over and this will just be We'll literally go through our appointments one by one by one, and they'll all be scheduled in, and we'll just doing it virtually mm. uh, one at a time. I could see also uh, the applications for people who have to come in on a regular basis uh, for an affliction that perhaps even needs a prescription uh, updated during these times, and it uh, wouldn't take too much over the phone, I, I wouldn't think, or through video. Correct. Uh, and again, <laughs> we, we thought this could have been done in the past a year ago, but... Um, we were really heavily restricted to do that and because it is quite efficient, uh, but now we're doing it. So, yes, exactly that uh, for regularly scheduled things. Now, there, there are things where, uh, where in-person really is critical, and we'll, we'll manage that. And if somebody who potentially has symptoms, um, this will be in full protective gear. This person you know, will call in in the parking lot. In theory, we'll bring them directly into an isolation room. We will see them in full PPE. Uh, and again, most clinics, this is different for us. This is different business, but this is how we'll manage it, and we'll try to keep the exposure uh, extremely limited. Uh, and otherwise, it will the virtual will s- slowly take over uh, for, for, for most uh, visits that can be managed that way. Well, thanks for the update, Dr. J. Keep safe, and uh, thank you for, uh, for allowing people to have a place to go when they've got medical questions, for sure. You betcha. Always love talking to you. That's Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Coming up to 819 on the morning news, Mario Taniguzzi is a Calgary journalist who runs calgarysbusiness.ca as well as a frequent contributor to the morning news. Over the weekend, Mario announced on his social media channels that he has been recently diagnosed with COVID-19. And he's here now to share his personal story with us. Good morning, Mario. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Thank you for taking the time and uh, super candid 
on social media over the weekend. So I'm wondering, when did you learn that you had COVID-19? Well, I'll just give you a quick story here. Like, I, I was in Montreal in mid-March mm-hmm. and came back uh, to Calgary last week. And I noticed late last week that uh, that I wasn't feeling well. And uh, over that weekend, I... Uh, I had fever, but uh, but the big thing was I had a cough, and the cough just wouldn't wouldn't go away. And I tried um, I tried to do the self assessment, uh, you know, uh, uh, through Alberta Health, and every time I did that, it showed some of the symptoms, but not all of them. So then I couldn't phone eight one one to see what the next step was. Uh, on Monday, I got a little concerned, uh, mostly because my family, you know, listening to me cough. And uh, I called my doctor's office. Doctor uh, called me, talked to me, and uh, he said, we're going to get you tested uh, simply because, A, my age, and B, the cough. He didn't like the sound of my cough. And uh, so he he put me on a list uh, to, to get the test. However, I hadn't uh, heard anything from from Alberta Health until Wednesday, and then finally Wednesday, my doctor uh, uh, said, "Come to come to his office," and he did it himself. Uh, mm. The test. Mario, talk to us a little bit. You said you weren't feeling well, and you had this cough. Were they different from not feeling well before in your life? And was the cough different? Just kind of explain to us, because I think that's the, the the unknown for all of us, right? We've never had this before. So, what is it all? Yeah. What, what does it all actually look like? Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, everybody has a cough, right? Uh, you know, especially this time of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, for me, I thought that's all it was. I, I thought it was a cold, you know, okay, you know, plowed through it, et cetera, et cetera, right? But, but um, you know, and, and uh, I wasn't concerned because I... You know, looking at that list of symptoms, I think uh, one of the symptoms there is loss of smell. Another symptom is the respiratory thing. And uh, and so I wasn't concerned, but I, I think, you know, my daughter especially kept, you know, almost badgering me. You should check with your doctor. And so I ended up, you know, uh, following through. And, and, and I guess that's the, I guess that's the scary thing in many ways in all this is that, you know, Fever and and coughs, those are simple things that we all go through every year, right? So who knows if if it's uh, if it's what we normally go through or if it's this, right? Mm-hmm. Just discerning. So tell us where you're at now. Um, obviously, you've been diagnosed. I'm I'm assuming you're at home. Uh, what is your path to recovery? Do you have medication, or what have the doctors told you? No. Um, you know, I'm quarantined in my bedroom, <laughs> which is kind of bizarre. I, 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 I'm still working because I'm still feeling fine outside of this damn cold that I can, or, or cough that I can't get rid of. Um, you know, I have family putting uh, food at my doorstep, food and drink. And, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, like being so in a great hotel. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, room service, like you wouldn't believe. But, uh, but outside of that, no, I have no medication. The key... From what I gathered from my doctor, the the key to all this is to make sure that this doesn't uh, move from, uh, say, your chest area to your lungs. Uh, the thing that they're looking for and they're more concerned about is if I you know, if I develop any breathing problems, then it's an immediate trip to the hospital. Well, thank you so much for joining us and explaining a little bit because, you know, it's that fear of the unknown, as I mentioned before, and, you know, knowing and speaking to somebody who has it but is is doing okay and can explain the, the, the symptoms we might experience, it makes things a little easier. So thanks, Mario. Appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Always.
feel better soon. Uh, hopefully you uh, you are out of uh, your uh, your 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 self-imposed exile for uh, pretty quickly. So thanks for joining us and get better. Uh, recently diagnosed with COVID nineteen. That is journalist Mario Tonaguzzi.